Welcome. So if you are new here today, we do have some like visitor cards. They're often in the Bibles. People can pass it out. Just raise your hand if you need one. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. We'll pass them out to you. Um, we are in the middle of a series for the summer called a uh, Common Prayers series. And the tagline is Honest Expressions of Human Longing and Lasting Hope. Nate started off the sermon series with us talking about a tax collector whose prayer was for mercy and how we can all totally identify with that prayer and our need for mercy. Stephanie did a a sermon on um, how God wants us to relate to him as father and that we can approach God as a father and we have the the ability and he tells us to do so. Uh, Before we get into the prayer we're going to look at today, uh, I wanted to kind of ask a rhetorical question that can you look back on your life and think about times when maybe somebody has said something to you, complimented you, or kind of identified something in you that really stuck with you, that at that point you can look back and be like, that kind of helped navigate me to where I am today, whether it gave me confidence, whether it kind of like built me up, and you could stand on that compliment, that prayer. Like I have several of them in my life, I look back and be like, yeah, that was like a pivotal point. Um, in my life at that point, that someone said that to me. And sometimes I feel like there are times when I'm in the position to be able to offer those. I don't always know what the right words are. Um, But for example, I worked at a Christian summer camp for several summers uh, when I was in college. And what I like about summer camp, similar to like a weekend retreat, is that you get to kind of like push out all the noise and you get to actually just kind of focus in on Christ. And as a summer camp, you've got a whole staff that are all surrounding you know, these kids to really help them recognize who Christ is and just spend the whole week of just having a lot of fun at the same time. And one week, I had a cabin of kids that we kind of call ourselves the misfits. And you'll understand why in a second. Normally, these kids come to camp and they have like, you know, their church group they're a part of, their friends, and they kind of like get into the different cabins they want to be in. And it just so happened that this particular week, none of the kids knew each other that were in my cabin. They didn't know anybody else. They showed up, they got dropped off. They had no church affiliation, no real church background. Um, we had one kid who was on medication for ADHD and seizure medication. And if he ever missed his medication, he would have seizures sometimes where you just kind of go catatonic and you have to wait about 30 seconds for him to kind of come back and be like, okay, I'm good. Uh, We had another kid who was on some kind of like psychotic medication and if he failed to take his medication, I was warned he could go violent. And I was told, if he does go violent and you're in the cabin, just take your mattress, pin him to the wall and send for help. (laughs) All right. And we had another kid that showed up, and he was super nice, but he had what looked like might have been like a lazy eye, and so I was like, okay, well, I've got to figure out not to like bring attention to that, and just kind of, you know, I don't want to hurt his feelings, I don't know what's going on there. Had another kid that showed up, long bleach blonde hair, Kurt Cobain tank top on, shorts, dirty shoes and socks, and a ratty sleeping bag, that's all he had. He didn't have a toothbrush. He didn't have a spare change of clothes. He didn't have swimming trunks. And so we were scrambling trying to get him stuff to get him through the whole week. Well, later that night, I was at my cabin. One of the kids was like, hey, Ryan, this kid has a fake eyeball. It's like, no, he doesn't have a fake eyeball. Let's not bring attention to it. Leave it alone. He's like, no, seriously, come here. So I walk around the corner, and he's pulling his eye out 
to show everybody his fake eyeball. And luckily, he had an eye patch, and he'd wear that when he was cleaning his eye. So he became called the pirate. And um, so we, we were a band of misfits. But the wonderful thing about that week is we had so many good talks. We had so many uh, just cool experiences that by the end of the week, as we're walking back to our cabin, I was like, man, what do I tell these guys now? I have no idea what they're going back into. What do I leave with them before they, they take off tomorrow? I remember praying to God, like, God, what is your heart for these kids? What do you want me to tell them? Uh, and it would be nice, I was thinking at the time, if we just had a clear image of what that was. Because sometimes you feel like you're, you're just kind of pulling straws. But the truth is, we do have a clear image of God's heart. And it's found in John 17. At this point, Jesus is praying for his disciples. But to lead up to it, this isn't like just a one-thing event that we just kind of like want to read over. We also want to realize that this book, this collection of books, as we all kind of know, is actually a story of God. And in the very beginning, something goes wrong, and we as a human race are thrown off course, and we're going to an, an ultimate outcome of death. And God in his mercy and grace had a plan, and he enacted it. And he pulls a people group out and says, hey, you're going to be my people. I'm going to sanctify you. I'm going to set you apart and make you different. And I'm going to send a Messiah through your people group that's going to actually save the whole world. And this is thousands of years in the making, and now we are at a fulcrum point in this story and Christ, the Messiah, is here on the earth with his people, teaching them about God, revealing the very nature and heart of God to his people. And he knows that just the next day, we're going to be starting this whole cross process. And he's going into a very dark time, and then he's going away. And so his heart right now is like, this is the last message I get to give my guys. This is what my heart is. And so he's praying with them. We can see what Christ's heart actually is. So we'll start in verse 1 of uh, chapter 17 of John. So Jesus spoke these things. He looked up to heaven and he said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son so the Son may glorify you. For you have given him authority over all flesh so he may give eternal life to all that you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, the one that you have sent, Jesus Christ. I have glorified you on the earth by completing the work that you have given me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. So here, there's basically three sections to this prayer, and this was the first section, and Jesus is praying for himself and for his mission and his glory, which ultimately he only wants glory so he can turn around and glorify the Father. And if you missed it, <clears throat> he also prays about eternal life. And if you're like me, I kind of think about eternal life in terms of like a timeline. Like I live my life, I die, I enter into eternal life with God. And so as an example of a timeline here, you know, we have the world was created, we have a flood, a bunch of stuff that happens in the middle, Jesus comes. And I think about the kingdom of God as being something that happens after this world's story is over and everything is made new. But Jesus doesn't refer to eternal life as a timeline. He refers to it as a present reality. Almost as if we have earth and heaven. And it's almost like a, if you know, 
of the concept of like filters on a camera, that it changes the perspective and the realities of things. And the kingdom of God is in the emergence of those two realities. And Jesus is saying that the kingdom of God is knowing God. This is not like an intellectual, I can spit out one, two, three details about God. This is like a relationship kind of knowing. This is God saying, I want to be known by you. That eternal life is knowing God and knowing Christ. So moving on, we get to verse 6, where Jesus starts to pray for his disciples now. I revealed your name to the to the men that you have given me from the world. They were yours, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that all the things that you have given me are from you, because the words that you gave me, I have given them. They have received them, and they have known for certain that I came from you. They have believed that you sent me, and I pray for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those that you have given me because they are yours. Everything that I have is yours and everything that you have is mine. I have been glorified in them. I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world. I am coming to you, Holy Father. Protect them by your name that you have given me so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I was protecting them by your name that you have given me. I guarded them, and not one of them is lost, except for the son of destruction, so that scripture may be fulfilled. Now I am coming to you, and I speak these things in the world, so that they may have my joy completed in them. I have given them your word, and the world hated them because they are not of the world. I am not praying that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, as I am not of the world." Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you have sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world, and I sanctify myself for them so they may be sanctified by the truth. And here, Jesus is praying for his disciples. There's a a lot there, but we'll just kind of summarize it and move on because of the time we've got. Here, Jesus is praying for his disciples' unity, and he's praying for their mission and for their glory, because he is glorified in them. And now we come to the third part of the prayer that we're going to focus on. And here Jesus starts off by saying, I pray not only for these, but also for those who believe in me through their message. Who is that? Yeah, that's us. That's you. Jesus' heart, right here in this part of of this prayer, He is praying for you, and he's praying for me. So we can just write our names right in here. And if we read it, if it's going to be more impactful for you just to put yourself into a position of receiving prayer, then I encourage you to do so. If you just want to imagine Christ putting his hand on your shoulder and praying this over you, that's what he's doing effectively. So here we go. I pray not only for these, but also for those who believe in me through their message. May they all be one, as you, Father, are in me, and I am in you. May they also be one in us, so the world may believe that you have sent me. 
I have given them the glory that you have given me. May they be one as we are one. I am in them and you are in me. May they be completely one so the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. Father, I desire that those that you have given me may be with me where I am, that they will see my glory, which you have given me because you have loved me before the world's foundation. Righteous Father, the world has not known you. However, I have known you, and these have known that you sent me. I made your name known to them, and I will make it known so the love that you have loved me with may be in them, and I may be in them. Amen. So, the idea of unity. Jesus praying for all believers, for their unity, for our witness, and ultimately our presence with him. And this concept is not new. He didn't just introduce it in this prayer. We have verses that I'm not going to put up on the wall, but I'm going to, I'll share with you. In John 21, Jesus is talking to Peter and he says, do you love me? Feed my sheep. In John 13, he says, a new command I give you that we love, you love one another, just as I have loved you, you must love one another. By this, people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And at this point, his disciples are still squabbling over when his kingdom is going to come and who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom and who's going to sit on the right hand and the left hand. But they do eventually get it. And we have examples of that because we hear James, his brother, the brother of Jesus, who at this time that Jesus was praying was not a believer. And he says in James 2, Indeed, if you keep the royal prescribed law in scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. And we have Paul in Romans 13 saying, Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Love, therefore, is the fulfillment of the law. In 1 John 2, John says, Whoever keeps his word, the love of God is perfected in him. The one who says that he remains in him should walk as he walked, and the one that loves his brother remains in the light. Paul in Galatians 6 says, we bear each other's burdens, and doing that we fulfill the law of Christ. In 1 Peter 3, Peter says, all of you be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate, be humble. So what do we take away from this? Well, the first part is, if Jesus has focused on this so strongly, and if his disciples have carried on that as being an important thing to be talking about, we can understand that this is probably going to be a struggle to do this. It does not come naturally. It's hard. And how do we do it? Well, Jesus came as an example. He came to introduce us to God, how to live rightly, in a right relationship with God, he demonstrated how it is we are to act and what it is we are to preach. And here's what he had to say about the way that he lived his life. In John 5, Jesus says, the son can do nothing on his own. He only does what he sees the father doing. And later on he says, again, I do nothing on my own. I judge as I hear. I do not seek my own will, but I seek the will of the one who sent me. And in Philippians 2 Paul says that Christ humbled himself in obedience, even obedience that led to death. In John 14, Jesus says, if you have seen me, then you have seen the Father. So following Christ's example, 
it becomes clear that it requires surrender, that we have to put ourselves after Christ, that we, we surrender so that we can become united with Christ. We surrender so that we can be united with other believers. And the third, we aren't doing it on our own. Christ has given us the Holy Spirit and the Comforter to tell us what he needs to tell us and to empower us and to give us gifts so that we can become united. We need the Holy Spirit to work in our lives. And fourth, this end result, why is, why is unity such a big deal to God? In John 15, John says, or Jesus actually says, I have told you these many things that my joy might be made full in you. In John 4, John says that if we love one another, God remains in us and his love is perfected in us. And one benefit of being united is that we can know that God is in us, that we are being united with God. And in Hebrews 12.2, if you haven't written down a verse, this is a good one. Hebrews 12.2, the writer of Hebrews says, Keeping our eyes on Jesus, the source and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that lay before him endured the cross and despised shame and sat down at the right hand of God's throne. So we have Christ here during this prayer. And we have what's coming up is the cross and everything that goes along with that and the separation from the Father. And on the other end of that, we have the joy that was put before Christ. And he doesn't want to go through this middle section. Because if you've read about the Garden of Gethsemane prayer, you can tell that Jesus is, he's sweating bullets and he's like, Father, if there's another way, I want to go a different way, but your will be done. And if you were to go a different way and that joy was to go away, that became not attainable. It was for that joy that he endures the cross. And that joy is what he's praying about in John 17. So, when we become united together, when we are united with God, we are living out the dream of Christ. We are completing his love and fulfilling his mission. What can that look like? Sometimes we think, oh, you need to do like some big great thing or, you know, run a acquire the fire conference yourself and bring tons of people to Christ. But it starts with just submission and it's sometimes just something very simple. There was a small church out in Elk Grove several years ago where one of their members, and we'll call her name Rocky, she uh, went to prison. So the circumstances surrounding that were, were painful and raw and rough on the people of the church. And people felt backstabbed, and they weren't sure what to do. They'd invested a lot into her, and, and this wasn't the outcome that they were expecting. There was one lady at the church, though, who really felt called to reach out and maintain a relationship with Rocky and make her realize that she's still part of their family. And she's like, I, you know, we, we don't want to send her money. We don't want to play the blame game. We don't want to be enabling any kind of you know, bad behavior. We just want to make sure that she still feels connected and that she's still loved. And I don't know, maybe, maybe I will talk about what I'm struggling with personally. Maybe I'll tell her what I'm, what I'm reading in my daily devotions and we'll do a little life application on that and kind of figure out how can that apply to, to what I'm dealing with. 
Um, and as we talk, maybe Rocky will dialogue what she's going with, and we can work some stuff out that way too. So she does. She starts writing letters, and Rocky starts responding and, and writing letters back. And at some point, Rocky starts sharing some of these letters with her with some of her cellmates. And so she's like, hey, you know, we're talking about what's been going on, and, and her cellmates, some of them are like, oh, man, that's awesome. Like, you've got a serious family that cares about you, and I've got nobody. I wish somebody would, you know, write like that to me. She's like, well, she's a nice person. Maybe write her. Maybe she'll write you back. So this lady in Elk Grove is writing letters to a member of her church, starts receiving some other letters. So she starts writing them back. And eventually, people get transferred from prison to prison, and more letters start showing up. And she starts writing more letters to each of the people that are writing to her. Eventually, she's having to write so many letters and keep everything straight, she makes a filing cabinet in her closet where she has everyone's name, everyone has a file, there's details about, okay, what did I last tell her? And, okay, now the next letter, let's, let's, let's play off of that one and let's make sure I'm not telling her the same thing I told somebody else and, you know, that kind of a thing. And at some point, she is writing letters to every single women's prison in California. And one of the people she's writing, we call her Harley, ends up getting transferred to Chowchilla. And she shows up in Chowchilla. And if you're familiar at all with the prison system, you can realize that there are, you pretty much get induced into some gang or another, you know, when you show up. Maybe we can call them social networks or political affiliations. But either way, she was in one of them. And she showed up. And she's carrying this letter this woman has written her. And she's walking along the yard that she only gets to go out to a couple times a week. And she's praying to God. And she's like, God, I... I need some camaraderie. I need someone who can just be here that I can pray with, that can encourage me, and we can hold each other strong. She's like, I don't know anybody right now. I just got here. So she's walking along the yard. And off here in the distance, we've got a group of people that are not part of her social network, who don't look very highly on her social network. And so she's like, okay, I just got to walk past them, keep my eyes down low, avoid any kind of contact, it's not cause a scene, not cause a problem. And she's walking by, trying to mind her own business, and someone kind of says, hey, are you a Christian? <sighs> okay. And so, goal, let's just see if we can kind of scoot on by, we'll kind of glance, we'll answer the question, and we'll, just, we'll, be, we'll be through it. So I'm, I'm trying to be, is what she says, and she tries to keep on going. As she's trying to walk by and skirt by, uh, one of the women get up from the table where they're sitting and she runs over and goes, hey, hey, wait, stop. Will you pray with me? She's like, yeah, yeah, for sure. And so they, they get together and they pray. And when they get done, they start kind of talking and, and the lady asks Harley, what's that paper in your hand? She's, oh, this? Oh, this, it, it's a letter. There's a lady from Elk Grove who, who writes me and she kind of helps me you know, process some stuff and we kind of work through different things. She goes, no way! That lady writes me! And so right then and there, they decide that they are going to meet every time they have opportunity to go in the yard, and they're going to pray for each other and build each other up. And they do. And that little group of two eventually grows into a group of three, of four, of five. And eventually that group becomes a group of 70 women who are meeting in the yard every opportunity they can to pray and just encourage each other and build each other up. And over 20 baptisms came out of that group itself. 
Jesus came to give us a life where we had an exit plan out of this world, but that's not all. He came to give us a relationship with God that was unlike any other opportunity that humanity has had in history. He wants us to really know him. He wants us to be a part of his family. He calls us a body. He wants us to be united with him and united together with him as the head. And the Holy Spirit knits us together. And in the end, we bring glory to God through doing that. This is the heart of God. The joy that was set before him is this dream. And ultimately, one day, there will be nothing that separates us from him. But in the meantime, we are here as a body and his hands and feet. And his cry and the cry of the disciples that have come before us is that we would be united. This is Christ's prayer. And it should be our prayer too. Heavenly Father, <clears throat> you are amazing in how you can just take one person's urging and of writing a letter and you can take that and turn it into a huge ministry where you expand the kingdom through just a simple act of obedience is beyond me and beyond us. And yet, Lord, you empower us, you love us, and you call us your own. Fill us with your spirit. Unite us together as your body. Bring us closer to you and, and bring us home. Amen.